My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talked to Callie and Ashton. They started a company called Story Tables, where they run games for kids and also sometimes for professionals. It was a very fun conversation, and if you are interested in learning about running games for kids, then this is the episode for you. We cover a lot of topics on running games for kids. A couple that come to mind are how you handle combat and violence, and then also what to do when the kids want to play evil characters. And there are some fun little stories in here, uh, so I hope you guys enjoy the episode. If you are interested in being interviewed or you know somebody who would be interested being interviewed, please head on over to the Discord or hit me on Twitter and we can get something scheduled. And don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, share, clap your hands twice uh, in that order. And with that, let's get into the episode. Welcome, everybody. I have Callie and Ashton with me today. Welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for reaching out to bring us on. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you guys on. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you got started in the tabletop role-playing space? Sure. Uh, So uh, I'm Callie, and uh, my husband is Ashton, and we've been professional game masters for how many years now? You've been doing it for five years or so. Yeah. Yeah, and the me for two and a half, almost three. Well, but if we're talking about when how we got into tabletop role-playing in the first place, <laughs> that is an old story for me. <laughs> Fade to a young man. <laughs> oh, a young boy. I was six years old. Oh. And I was invited to play the D game with some friends who are a little bit older than me. And my only recollection of that game is that I made a first level wizard because I wanted to be like Gandalf. And I threw a single magic missile and then I was out of spells. And I felt that this was very underwhelming. <laughs> um, but then I actually ended up making up my own, uh, with one other friend, kid a little bit older than me, we made up our own version, which we just called Quest, which was totally free form role playing. I was like, the pa- these papers and pencils and dice are getting in the way. Let's just play without all that stuff. So we, oh man, we would walk around the field for hours playing Quest. It was great. (laughs) That's an awesome intro story. (laughs) And thus a nerd was born. (laughs) I think it actually got started even earlier than that, though. I was primed by my dad telling me stories, and he would make them interactive. He would tell me a story, and then he would ask me what... He would put me in the story and ask me what I do. It was role playing. He, we just neither of us knew it, mm. and I was doing that from gosh as little as I can remember. Yeah, boy, I need to start doing that with my daughter. <laughs> it's super fun. We sometimes do it with our child, and oh, it's just a blast. He's a little shy around it. We'll he ask is. what he wants to do, and he's like, "I don't know," but he's so excited. And <laughs> he's like I shaking might, with excitement. <laughs> I might recommend, like, do you say yes? And he'll be like, "Yes." and Callie how about for you how did you get started uh well you know I've always been kind of theatrical definitely nerdy um but I actually didn't get into tabletop role-playing games until I met Ashton uh and I met him by typing nerd into okcupid because I looked around my friends and I was like what's the unifying I don't know genre (laughs) of friend I have and (laughs) 
I came away with nerd and I was like, yeah, that's right. And I kind of identify as that. Let's let's definitely do that. And uh, on our first date, uh, he picked me up from the train station and I had to move this egg carton out of the way on the seat. And it was kind of open. I was like, oh, these are beautiful figurines. And he said, oh, yeah, I painted them. They're for Dungeons and Dragons. And he just kind of <laughs> gave me a look. <laughs> like in a very assessing look. And I'm like, oh, I've heard of that. Uh, some of my uh, male friends play that, uh, though they've never invited me. And he was like, oh, I play all the time. Uh, are you interested in it? And I said, yeah, well, well yeah. I've, I mean, if you're interested in showing me the rules, it might be great to do. It was our second date. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, our second date? <laughs> was it? To the second oh, right. Date. It was because our first date was at the cafe. Yes. So that was our second date. I'm sorry. <laughs> But there was kind of a sexism thing about, like, un, I think kind of unintentional, unintentional but yes. your friends all, your friends who gamed were a male group and just assumed, you know, there's this history of nerdy things being for men, and they didn't mean to exclude, they no. just felt that women wouldn't be interested and so never invited. And yeah. it ended up having this, you know, very distinct effect of all the women sort of looking in from the outside being like, that looks really fun. Why aren't, why aren't you inviting us? Yeah, but I mean, we were all busy too, and we were just like, maybe, yeah. maybe they're right. Maybe we won't enjoy it. You know, there was also that kind of thing. It's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, and a lot of these male friends who did play then do play with me now. So that was definitely changed. But I, I don't think it may have changed unless Ashton had been kind of thrown into the mix. And Ashton at the time was running a lot of games uh, with predominantly uh, she's and they's. So it, you know, he never really had that. He didn't have that, um, you know, kind of misconception on who's interested in that sort of genre. Uh, and when he invited me to play, I was like, "All right, yeah." Yeah, I'd been playing with a pretty gender diverse, a couple of different, very gender diverse groups, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> and when I invited all your female friends, they a lot of them jumped at the chance. Yeah, they did. Yeah, we I wonder really if there was also an age thing too. there too, because a lot of our male friends were, you know, mm. seven even 10 years older than us. Well, once so. they found out you wanted to play, they were oh, delighted they were to play with you. Oh, absolutely. And we have a great time and we have had a great time all together, my female friends and our male friends all together. And breaking down those barriers, I'm so glad that it happened because I think it really opened up another level of friendship with us all, with all of these like fun inside jokes and like- Shared stories. Shared stories and yeah. And then uh, Ashen's always been writing games and- you know, it's just he—he he was in game books before we started Story Tables, which is our tabletop role-playing game company. Uh, so he—he he definitely had even a background in it before we started that. Game books is in interactive fiction, but like Dead Tree format. Dead Tree format, <laughs> yes, analog. Um, such a such a wholesome story about your group of friends, and then you becoming. Um, interested in playing and then everybody now kind of just as a as a collective is just in on on the fun of tabletop games yeah it's it's really great uh, and uh like <laughs> even creating art you know people creating art around our campaigns and things like that because uh, oh, yeah. a lot of our friends are artists so it's just so much fun <laughs> and now this group of like all the friends that she introduced me to when we started dating this group has become one of the best gaming groups I've ever played with. We've been playing together for years, uh, just yeah. still have a blast every week. Yeah. So and so your games, do you run like multiple games for like subsets or is it everybody collective collectively together playing games or what kind of is that set up for you guys? 
Well, in a friendship capacity, we have a reoccurring Saturday game online now. Uh, that started uh, during the pandemic, right? It did, but it was kind of, you know, we had that in-person game going for years. For years, yeah. And then just but that trailed off when we couldn't visit anymore because mm -hmm. of the pandemic. Yeah. We switched online. And then uh, another thing that we're doing right now is we have a Twitch stream called uh, Misfit Table. It's Misfit underscore table when you're on Twitch. And that is uh, two of my uh, longtime male friends, uh, my husband, and then, uh, oh, Rob's also a longtime friend too. Mm -hmm. So Rob is the DM. Uh, and we do that on Twitch. And some of my friends are also professional DMs uh, and also voice and actors. professional voice actors. So uh, playing with them has really, really been a blast. We've been doing Wild Beyond the Witch Light. And I've been playing this character that uh, has a Midwestern accent, Brock. Uh, that's partially why <laughs> I brought up your accent because it's just, it, it brings up nostalgia for me having grown up in the Midwest. Uh, and we play that, and uh, that's kind of like semi-professional, but really it's just our friends getting together online uh, every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Pacific time. And that's nice because the Saturday game, which is just for fun, there are some players there who don't want to, you know, have this public presence. Um, it's wonderful, but a lot of a lot of times, you know, it gets canceled, life comes up, it's Saturdays, now that the pandemic isn't totally in full swing anymore we've had to miss a lot of sessions, whereas the Tuesday game has been able to be a little more consistent. Yeah. So I'm glad that we still have like games for fun instead of just professionally. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it takes the edge off a little bit of trying to just uh, not necessarily be perfect, but th there's kind of a different uh, standard almost that you hold yourself to if you're if you're streaming online or presenting to, you know, the public versus just what's what you're doing at home with friends. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then we, oh my God, our Thursday night game. <laughs> we game so much. We game in person on our Thursday night game here in Ojai, California. Uh, that's another fun one. It's an all dwarf campaign. Um, so we have three games a week and that's our own games. <laughs> if you count the ones that we run professionally, it would really start rock, just racking yeah. up there. Uh, but the games we run professionally are very different. Uh, they're for kids. First of all, uh, age range uh, is 10 to 18, um, tends to attract the most uh, children kind of between 10 and 14. Uh, older kids tend to have either jobs or love interests or other things that you kind of get in the way. But we do have a lot of older kids uh, who've been playing with Ashton uh, since they were like freshmen in high school all the way until they graduated. We've had some of those kids who've graduated run games for us. And that system is actually in a system that Ashton created, um, and I've helped a little bit with, mm -hmm. uh, called Isles of Mist. Um, and that's through Story Tables. So we run the system Isles of Mist through Story Tables, our professional gaming company. And uh, yeah, we have kids uh, all across the country tuning in to do that uh, online. And then we have a lot of in-person games uh, through the local schools. So we get hired by the local schools to run these games on their campus. Okay, I was going to ask how that works. So the the schools actually hire that out as like a extracurricular type thing or kind of how does that work? It's a mix on what kind of school it is. I'll let Ashton speak to that. Yeah, it depends a little on... Uh what arrangement the school wants. Some schools don't want to bring in an outside organization. And we're pretty happy to either work directly for the school ourselves or let the, you know, the GMs who work with us 
just work directly with the school rather than sort of going through us. Um, we tend with the schools, we tend to only kind of make enough to pay the person who's running it. It doesn't really bring anything in for the company, but, um, it's great because it, it gets the kids knowing that we exist and then they're more likely to sign up for our summer programs or, or after, after school, school programs. programs. And uh, a lot of where we make our money is the summer programs because uh, parents are, you know, desperate for wholesome educational entertainment that doesn't have their kid just playing a video game or whatever, you know, something that's really interactive for their child. Um, and especially in the pandemic, that just skyrocketed. Uh, we were already doing fairly well. And then being able to have a genre that is online and educational and interactive for these children, uh, it just, I think it really helps some of these kids. We got a lot of thank you messages from parents. And I wanted to thank the parents, you know, because it was giving They're me a reason. Us. Yeah, giving us a reason to get out of bed you know every every afternoon or morning uh depending on what depression wanted us to get up <laughs> or our child um but yeah it was it was definitely different and and it's continued we've retained a lot of those customers even uh after that pandemic really uh made the business solidify we were already pursuing it and then uh we were one of the few businesses that actually did a little better in the pandemic um, and is this what you guys do full time? So, uh, yes and no. I actually have been a teacher. Um, I, I was a full time English teacher up until last summer. And I actually, after eight years as a teacher, I walked away this year, which was a big step. So I'm now focused full time on it. But um, Callie has moved to full time with her side gig in order to kind of help support us and help launch the business. We were thinking about if we wanted to, to try to take out a big loan or seek investors to get story tables launched. Um, and then she got this offer of full-time work. And, you know, the sad thing for me is it's taking a lot of her energy away from story tables, which is hard. It's, it's putting a lot more on my shoulders, but um, it's wonderful to have that sense of security as we're in the space to grow the business. Uh, without worrying too much about the roof over our heads. Yeah. And I plan to use a lot of that extra income, not only to, you know, pay off any debt, uh, but to, you know, do things that we normally would have done for our business with a loan, like uh, find a permanent spot, uh, get really nice equipment for our summer camps, which are hopefully, fingers crossed, going to be in person uh, this year. Uh, we'll have to see how that all plays out. Um, and yeah, so I'm still going to be running some of the after-school programs. I already ran it past my work. Uh, they're totally fine with that. Um, it's wonderful that they're willing to accommodate and let her have a couple hours here and there. Because mm -hmm. the kids just love her so much. <laughs> and, I, and I love playing with them. I I just uh, earlier today was playing with them and I just came out so jazzed. Uh, I might be, I am learning too charismatic as a villain. <laughs> the kids keep converting to villainy oh, <laughs> very clear tell them about what happened today <laughs> uh, uh i don't know if you want to hear it or not but <laughs> oh yeah we, we're all for stories here okay 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 so uh i this have this is a rich one <laughs> these kids do this you know whole murder mystery thing uh they eventually figure out who the murderer is one of them can talk to ghosts whole thing um 
But when a fight started to turn south and it was uh, evident that they'd either have to flee or, you know, really get hurt, uh, one of the characters sort of raised their hand. They're like, listen, listen, we're actually kind of for what your organization is for, which is this rebellion sort of situation with against the haves with the have nots. It's just their methods are pretty violent. And he's like, well, let me let me come to one of your meetings. Let me see, uh, you know, what you're about. And I asked him, does your character actually believe this? Or is this, you know, are you fibbing? Are you lying? Uh, are you trying to deceive them? And he's like, no, actually, his this character would be curious about that. He's been personally uh, affected by this world. And I said, okay. And so I gave them advantage on their roles. And sure enough, now they're invited to the meeting of the bad guys. <laughs> First invited, wasn't it something like they were in trouble in this fight and they got out of it by saying, no, no, we're kind of, we might be with you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, it started as this kind of deception, but then they got invited to the meeting where there were some big reveals. And yes, there were some very big reveals at this meeting. Uh, sort of, they were an off branch of a resistance that turned pretty violent. So kind of ter terrorists, um, <laughs> without saying the word. Um, and so I did a bunch of impassioned speeches. One of the characters is revealed to be... Uh, uh, one of the NPCs is revealed to be one of the characters' long-lost father, which I had been building to and hinting at, like, through this whole thing. He's been looking for his dad the whole time. The whole right? time. It was a huge reveal. All the kids just were like, what? And, like, jumped out of their chairs. It was beautiful. It was so great. But then... But then <laughs> the father character is like, hey, we have this plan. I don't want you to be a part of it. We can wipe your memory if you decide you don't want to be a part of it. We have somebody who could do that here. But we're essentially going to do this sort of terrorist attack with these like poisonous mushrooms at this big event. Are you in? And he argued and like the bad, like the bad guy, this father character, me, argued it very, very well. Apparently far <laughs> too persuasively because all the students. But I also very persuasively. Hey, OK, I very persuasively in the role of the best friend who said this was a bad idea. It was evil. It was wrong. And it was malicious. So Kelly was playing both sides. She was trying to give them the moral dilemma. And they looked at both sides of this. And they're like, you know what? These terrorists have a plan. Let's bomb the race. OK. <laughs> Two out of the three of them. The young lady did not go for this. <laughs> And it's worth pointing out that the kid who is sort of leading the charge on this, this is not the first time he has made mistakes of this order. In a previous <laughs> game, he sold out his entire group, got a major NPC killed. Oh, my God. He did. And this is the second time I've done this to him. I'm like, why have you not learned this lesson? Yet? He just feels things so deeply. He does. He's like, the ends do justify the means. And I'm like, that is literally the lesson I'm trying not to teach you. <laughs> So now Kelly comes to me after the session. She's like, ah, what do I do? I'm trying to teach this moral lesson. And they totally took the wrong bait. <laughs> what do I do? They even tried to wipe the memory of the other player character in the group who was saying, you know, this is a bad idea. This is very evil what we're going to do. And so, you know, I, I managed to save her mem memory through a active DMing that I'm fairly proud of. There had been this ghost following her around this whole time who is this mute ghost trying to tell her all this stuff. At the very end, he sees that her memory is about to be wiped and the ghost gets into her body. And instead of her memory being wiped, the ghost's memory is wiped. And ah. she happened because she's a bit of a psychic character. 
And instead of her losing all of her memories of what happened that night and everything that got revealed, uh, this ghost that's already mute and is now completely without memory, just wandering around the afterlife. <laughs> but she gets to retain her memories. And so I was now like, one of them still knows what's going on. And she was the one with a little bit of a more sensible head on her shoulders. <laughs> so I'm very curious to see how this all goes down. Oh man, uh, me too. I'm this not even whole in that campaign, game. they've been having, kids will just put you on your toes. They do, they never do what you expect them to do. That's why you just kind of have to create the plot and let them dance around it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, what are the, what are the ages of these, of this group? Uh, this group, uh, the oldest one is 14, and the youngest one is, he's 11, I think. Yeah, so 11 to 14, right? Yeah, he's 14. Cool. That's why his voice dropped. Remember when that happened? Yeah, it was very <laughs> sudden. He also gained like six inches. Yeah, it was very funny. <laughs> oh, it's been fun to watch these kids grow up, too. Because uh, especially when they were online, like we didn't see them. And then we played with them online for a year. And then when we saw them again in person. <laughs> they were so much older. They'd sprouted inches. Yeah. Like voices dropped. That was my favorite part. They'd be like, hi, Callie. And then I would see them again like a year later. And they'd be like, hi, Callie. I'm like, no, what? Um, I do. I have a couple of questions around running games for kids. Just because no, nobody that we've talked to thus far has really had that experience or it was kind of like they had kind of run for maybe like a cousin or something at one point. But um, how do you handle, like, obviously you have like a, a very bad violent group, um, you know, of enemies. How do you handle like uh, both like combat, but also like levels of like violence and, and, you know, and that sort of thing in games that are more geared towards kids. Well, one of the kind of ingenious things about Isles of Mist that Ashton created is that everybody in this world, regardless of if they're a magic user or not, has this protective aura around them, uh, which kind of explains away like hit points in a way. So if you're down to zero aura, you just get knocked out. And if you go to sleep, you'll heal back up your wounds. You don't take any permanent injuries. So kids can get through a lot of combat by just knocking out their opponents, subduing them, tying them up and giving them to the authorities. So that's one way we get around that sort of gameplay aspect. Uh, it's a little bit more moral. We've definitely had kids who wanted to continue to hit the character after the aura was gone. And then we've put them on trial. <laughs> like there were consequences to any action like that. Um, in terms of violence, of course, we tone it down. Uh, and, you know, and uh, a lot of times it's just, you know, survival things. There's big monsters. There's um, it's a little like larger that. than life action heroey. And it, it does help that there's this aura quality, like the people in this world are innately magical. So if someone gets hit with a spear, you're not giving a description that's like the spear rips through his shoulder and takes off the arm and blood sprays everywhere. No, you're getting a description like it hits his it hits his shoulder and his aura flares to protect him. There's this huge burst of light, but it looks like the spear got through his aura just enough to scratch his arm. You see a tiny bit of blood. He's bloodied. He must be less than half aura. So it makes the fights a lot more palatable for a younger audience. While it can still be large and exciting and you have these monsters out of the mist and it, high magic at higher levels, it can still be dramatic without being so bloody. Yeah. And then during the summer camps too, a lot of times, uh, sometimes we split up the groups based on how long they've been playing that character and what level that character is. But a lot of times we also try to split along age lines and what we know the, the children are comfortable with. 
they like to play with kids about the same age as themselves, give mm-hmm. or take. And kids who've been playing a long time tend to know each other's comfort levels or especially if, yeah, if they've been with us a while, they might be ready for more advanced, you know, more mature content, which is never anything that would be reached. No, it's like just adult zombies levels or something of mature, like that. Yeah. But like maybe zombies as opposed to no zombies. Yeah. And we don't get like overly graphic with those kinds of descriptions. Uh-oh. That's oh. just the monitor. Oh, it's just the monitor. <laughs> I was like, well, computer's dead. End of interview. <laughs> um, I really like that idea. I haven't heard anybody, again, I haven't really talked to anybody that's run games for kids. So that's one of the things that I've been curious about, um, especially me wanting to get my daughter into uh, games as she gets older. Um, that actually kind of reminds me of like the uh, like superhero kind of like cartoons and stuff where they they just like punch each other knock each other out but like that's about the extent of uh, of the violence yeah it's kind of like batman kind of situation you know (laughs) um the isles of mist game is have you like published that can you pick like can i pick that up somewhere or unfortunately not yet the rule book is like i don't know 85 percent complete but you know the old adage about the last 10% takes 90% of the effort. Um, uh, we're also putting together a wiki right now since we are hiring more people to run games. So we kind of need like a one-stop shop for them to be able to look up, you know, specific types of situations or character building, you know, aspects. Um, it's not a super complex system, which is one thing that Ashton developed that I think is really nice. <laughs> it makes things go a lot faster. It's more accessible for children, more accessible for training people to run these systems. Uh, what I'm hoping to do <clears throat> is in the next year, uh, you know, provide Ashton a little bit more time to get some of the writing complete on the system and put it up on Kickstarter. Um, that I've seen a lot of people publish things that way. Uh, we'll probably do it for a, you know, not too too expensive amount. Uh, we've we've done things on Kickstarter before that were okay and that did well. Um, and then anything that we can't fund through Kickstarter, I'll use my separate income from my full-time job uh, to get published. Because I think it's a system that should be out there. I think there's room for it. I don't. I think a lot of games that are geared for kids are incredible and they're wonderful. But a lot of them are kind of one-shots. And this is a system where you could really play it forever. You know, sort of like Dungeons & Dragons. And it, it hits a real niche, I think, of that like <laughs> 11 to 13-year-old age. There's a lot of I've seen some games out there that that are for children. They're they're for that, you know, six to nine year old age. And then there's adult games, but I haven't personally seen a lot where it's really geared towards that sort of like to teen. Yeah, Yeah. adolescence era. Because at that age, they're you know, I think adults underestimate kids a lot of times. Obviously, content wise, there's you know, real limits on what you want to bring in, but as far as like the deeper philosophy or complex problem solving, like they're really ready for some of that, which is kind of fun to see. Like you get to present these moral questions of, okay, these guys are planning a terrorist attack, but they say it's for a good cause. What are the consequences of this? What's the fallout? And and get to see them thinking about it. Um, they're ready for a more rigorous system, but it's, it's not, it doesn't ask as much of you as like D and D does. It's it's a little simpler. Sure. Yeah, I have seen a couple of games that are like you mentioned are they're like super simple, and yeah. it sounds like what you have is maybe kind of a sweet spot between being overly simplified and 
having enough room to grow and be able to continue to play over the course of a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal <laughs> is to make something that's really uh, primarily geared towards young adults, that YAA range, but still fun for full adults. Yeah. And I have run it for adults before. We had a great time. So getting it out there is definitely one of our goals. And now that I have, you know, I've made this big step in my life to to move to doing this as my full-time occupation. Um, hopefully I'll be able to put in that last 15% and get the book published within a year or so. Yeah. And we are also lucky in that uh, I, before all this uh, was and still am a professional artist. So I can do a lot of the layout. I can do a lot of the art that's required. Uh, for a little bit cheaper that other people could afford because they would have to hire the artist fully. Um, so that's that's one way that we're hoping to uh, kind of get this funded and out there a little bit easier <laughs> is just uh, more effort uh, on our parts, I guess. <laughs> Do it yourself. That's, Do it that's how that's how you start a company. And mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You use the talents that you have to to do what you can. Yeah. The the book sounds really awesome. I would be really interested in seeing like a completed version of it, especially as my daughter continues to get older <laughs> and is learning more and more every single day. Um, are there are there things I, you mentioned that kids obviously are a little bit different than when you're playing with adults in terms of like they'll surprise you or they'll do different things. Are there certain like tips or like general things that you found after running games for kids that you would, you know, like if somebody was going to run a game for kid or young adults, um, you know, what tips are there to run for them versus running for adults? It's a very interesting question. Well, I've covered a little bit about that in some of my TikTok videos as Story Goddess. Um, But I would say probably one of the biggest things is, uh, Kids are not always good at taking obvious bait. So you need to make it even more obvious. And then if they do still decide not to go that way, don't railroad them. Like you have to keep the story going. Sometimes you got to make it up on the fly. Um, You got to be a little bit creative. You know, you can't just go off of a book like you could with like Dungeons and Dragons a lot of times where you're given this setting. I mean, in Dungeons and Dragons, your team can go off the road, but most of the time, if you dra- grab, you know, drop a hint, they're going to follow that hint. Children are not always that way. Sometimes they even get what the hint is, but they just get really fixated on selling the parts of the giant bat that they <laughs> killed at the marketplace. <laughs> and then you spend the entire session figuring out what the bat parts do and what they can get for those bat parts. <laughs> yes, this did happen. <laughs> last tuesday last tuesday Um, this tuesday (laughs) i i guess to that i would add i think when you're dealing especially in that that adolescent range like 11 to 13 give or take the cognitive ability is there but the patience that adults have is not there and the experience that adults have is not there so a lot of this stuff is new to them you present them with a scene of uh, i don't know sneaking and they might just flatten themselves against a wall and think they're hidden, um, like <laughs> which I've seen happen. Um, I think a lot of the principles of YA fiction would apply here as well. Like make it big, make it bright, make it exciting, make it imaginative, keep it fast paced. Um, 
I, competence is an interesting question because, like I said, the cognitive ability is there, but it's that experience piece that's missing. There are mistakes that adults would never make that kids do make because mm -hmm. they just haven't been in those situations before, which, of course, is a really cool thing about this is it lets them hypothetically, like in their imagination, be in all these different situations and practice and try things out and see what works and what doesn't. Um, and do it, you know, risk free. Like it's not a real risk. It's an imaginary risk. Yeah. Know? In the game, they can sign up for a terrorist organization and uh, <laughs> find out how bad it goes and walk away from that with no harm done and then have learned that lesson. <laughs> so also in our game, you're not allowed to play an evil character. Right. It's just not allowed. You can play a morally gray character, but once your character kind of crosses a threshold, we explain to them why this is, but we ask them to turn in their character sheet and let them know that their their character is going to be a non-player character now. Uh, I might play their character later, but if they sign up with the bad guy, if they you know kill somebody, if they do something that's morally reprehensible, they just can't play that character anymore and they'll have to roll up a new character. And this has happened on occasion. Uh, I've even had calls with parents about it, but the parents always understand and the kids understand too. And you can see them come back to other games. And when somebody else is going to do something that, you know, like, like torture somebody or want to do something like that, you know, I never play out those scenes. I always tell them no. Um, well, but torture is not allowed. It's just not it's allowed. It's very mm -hmm. explicitly nope, not allowed. Kabosh on that. But, you know, if they like talk about doing that or something like that, the kids are, you know, the other kids will shut that kid down and be like, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, you don't want to do that. She'll take your character away. You don't want to be evil. <laughs> it's a, it's definitely a heavy mallet. It's a blunt instrument. It but is. it is a nice tool to have in your back pocket. Community and to use to communicate that this is wrong. Like, if you need to, they they reach across a certain line. You can just be like, "All right, give me your character sheet. This is an NPC now," yeah. and if and that gets the message across. Yeah, and if it's just like a, it's rather morally gray. Like I said, I've put them on trial. <laughs> and that's one of the fascinating things is getting to explore these uh, borderlines, like like a that student who committed murder, and then there was a whole subplot about them being put on trial for it, and and they couldn't set foot inside the town anymore. So they lived on a friend's airship where they could never touch the ground <laughs> until they won their honor back and were able to come back to the town. There was a whole campaign about it. It was great. Or in another campaign, we had a character who was played by someone who was maybe a little bit morally gray. And he had this magic sword, but I'd established it was a good sword. It was a sentient sword. And it was his friend. He loves this sword so much. And at one point he had defeated an enemy and he went to kill that enemy, his defeated foe, with this sword. It was it was a duel, not a duel to the death. And after he defeated his foe, he went to to kill him. And the sword was a good aligned, and it jumped out of his hand and uh, wouldn't let him pick it up anymore. I got a I got a call from his mother later that night saying he was wrecked, wrecked about <laughs> losing his sword, just heartbroken. And his poor mother is like, I don't really understand but he seems pretty upset is there any chance he's gonna get the sword back <laughs> she's like so confused but she's like trying to help and so i explained what had happened and explained yeah there is a chance he can get the sword back what he needs is a redemption arc he needs to do something to prove to the sword that he's worthy of carrying it again and it actually wound up being this wonderful storyline and and in the end he did redeem himself and earn the sword's loyalty again it, it was very cool yeah, I liked that. 
Well, there's some really good um, tips, I think, especially with with just taking their care their character sheet. Um, do you have like specific mechanics that you have, like a morality thing, or is it just purely like once they cross that line, it's just kind of a you as the DM make that choice as to where that that line is at and and when that yeah, character crosses right. over into evil. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I tend to make it, but I tend to make the signs very, very, very clear before they make that situation. Like the villain, if they decide to go along with whatever the villain's plan is, will outline the plan and and doesn't really mince the words, you know, of what's going to happen. Uh, And so this gives them a very clear choice. Like I'm not tricking them. They're actually going for that. And if they actually go for that, then I ask for their character sheet. Other things that we've come up with, uh, one person uh, signed an unbreakable treaty with this bat-aligned character who, again, I'm just like, am I making these too charming? Uh, (laughs) Why does this keep happening? Um, But uh, he decided to play the son of his other character later and wanted to show the world uh, that his family... Uh, is actually brave and actually loyal to the city that he's from. Uh, So he used that sort of redemption arc uh, for his family rather than that character because that character had signed an unbreakable bond. So he couldn't really have a redemption arc. Um, So that was kind of a fun workaround. And that was the child's idea. Uh, That wasn't my idea. So they came up with that on their own. So it actually gives them sort of avenues of creativity. It's fun when they make little family trees and start making characters who are the brothers or sisters or daughters or sons of their of their other characters. Yeah. It's always kind of neat. But to your question about systemizing morality, no. Um, it's left pretty abstract. You know, what's funny is one of the very first ideas that that I had when I first conceived of this system was sort of a reputation system where you could gain a reputation as a rogue or a hero to different factions or different communities. But that actually ended up being, like the system's pretty full. I, I don't, there's not even room on the character sheet to write that in. Yeah, It just seems like one more thing to keep track of. So it's kind of fallen by the wayside. Yeah. One of the things we do do uh, is how experience points are handed out is in part the DM, you know, gives you a certain number of points for how long the adventure was. There's a certain number of points for if you accomplish your goal, but then there are points that they actually get to talk about and that they're involved with uh, that morality can come to play in uh, or just gameplay can come to play in. Uh, so they have uh, teamwork points and we have them go around the table and everybody talks about whether or not they worked well as a team and to give specific instances where they collaborated to reach a certain goal. And I've definitely had kids be honest, say, oh, actually, I don't think we we were really good as a team this last adventure. I don't think we should get any points for that, uh, which just happened the other day. And it's it's honest and it gives them dis- you know, uh, the ability to discuss it. We even came down, we came up with some uh, tenants for that table, basically some rules going forward on how player versus player conduct uh, happens and basically all came down to consent. You know, if you want to have a player versus player uh, situation, the other player has to consent to you, you know, picking them their pocket or whatever. Um, and it can't hog the entire time. Uh, the rest of the table has to have the ability to, you know, play the game. Which is actually a, a detail I borrowed from Blades in the Dark. Any PvP instance needs to have out-of-game consent from both players, even if it's 
any rolling dice at all, rolling persuasion, rolling to pickpocket, rolling to hide. If the other player out of character doesn't consent, you just don't don't do that. It just doesn't happen. Uh, so that's something that we we got involved in with the teamwork points recently in that table, which was great. I think it really helped out. Uh, another thing that we do in the experience point system is um, failure and learning points. And this is something that Ashton created. Uh, and I think your teaching background really helped with it. Do you want to explain that? Well, it's actually in <laughs> that one I borrowed from the old White Wolf games. Oh, really? But it was also inspired from teaching because there's such a big emphasis in teaching theory right now about uh, growth mindset and how failing doesn't mean you're bad at a thing. Failing is actually an essential part of learning the thing. And so, uh, you know, I've tried to build that in in this system. So like the old White Wolf games, you gain experience points and you can gain these bonus points for different things. If you have good teamwork, you can gain bonus points. If you accomplish your goals, you can gain bonus points. And if you can show a way that you made a mistake and learned from that mistake, you can gain a bonus point. And this actually becomes a place where a lot of the learning happens because it's a moment after the adventure to sit back and reflect on everything. And you can comment, like Callie said, on did we perform well as a team or were we working at cross purposes? Uh, did I make any mistakes that I can learn from? Um, and then the the team roles one can also be really interesting. You can gain bonus points based on your team role. Like you might be the bookkeeper or the team leader. You can gain bonus experience points for this. And uh, there's lessons in there. If you don't get the point for bookkeeper, maybe there's a lesson about like, oh, I accepted this responsibility. I need to be diligent about completing it. If you don't get the point for team leader, that's an opportunity for me or whoever's running it to give them some comments on leadership and what leadership means and how they can fill that role. And those conversations always feel very profound. I had one last Wednesday with a student. We were giving out experience and he did not get the leadership point. And I was able to have, you know, he got some feedback from the rest of the group about how he could be a stronger leader. And I was able to have some really interesting conversations with him about what it means to be a leader. And I could see he was really thinking about it. And for the rest of the session after we did that, he was really trying hard. He was really doing his best to put those lessons into action and, and practice this leadership skill. And that feels good to see. Mm -hmm. It's really cool to see, especially in, in kids, that level of, like you said, understanding and that they that cognitive ability is there. It's just the, the experience and then giving them those experiences and those, those feedback, because like thinking back to my childhood, I didn't really have many things where I would have been able to be in a situation like this and then have gotten feedback on how well I was as a leader or, or whatever. Right. So these just seem like very valuable uh, experiences to the kids that you're uh, working with. I think so. I mean, that's that's our goal, at least. And sometimes it feels like it really works. Yeah. I mean, e even if, you know, they don't come away with a lesson, at least they come away with like a story. And it's a story they built. They helped with that story. It's not just us. You know, we're not talking at them. And a lot of these stories have lessons embedded in them. Mm -hmm. Um I mean, you might have a situation with sort of a complex moral question and they get to experience that storyline and that's going to stick with them. They get to think about the, the the stories that emerged from that. Maybe they trust someone who had lots of red flags and then they betray them. 
Well, guess what? You get to have that fictional experience. Maybe next time you'll recognize those red flags, even if that's in real life, you know? I mean, that's the idea at least. But I, I believe in it. I think I it's think true. It, I think it would work. I think it, I, it's probably at play. And like you said, I mean, how many times are there in life you get to practice being a leader and get direct feedback on that? I mean, that by itself is something pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And low stakes, too, because if you fail at being a leader in this, there's no one actually hurt, you know? Yeah. Although it did sound like it was pretty traumatizing when that kid lost his sword. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely... We definitely, once in a while, we get those calls from a parent. We have to be like, yeah, there's a thing going on. Don't worry. We'll come out the other side of it. If a pet's in danger, sometimes we've oh gotten goodness. a text from a parent being like, okay, just to be clear, they're uh, like, you know, magical animal. It's not gone forever, right? I'm like, no, we just left it on a cliffhanger because one, it was the end of time. And two, it's very dramatic. Cliffhangers are I, exciting. I have a plan on bringing back this lost animal. And the parent's like, thank God. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny seeing the parents react to it because like a very small number of them kind of get it or have experience with role-playing games before. But man, a lot of times the comments are like, we'll be called over to a car as a parent's driving away and she'll lean out the window and just be like, I have no idea what you do in there, but my kid loves it. Thank you. (laughs) Or they're trying to like, you know, their child is traumatized and trying to cope and the parent's like, um... Something about a butterfly, like a cat with butterfly wings, is is it going to be okay? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like real trauma. It's just, you know, kids really feel things, you know. Oh, like, that, but that's one of the wonderful things about it is the yeah. power of their imagination and the depth of their feeling. I mean, sometimes you can see them quivering with excitement <laughs> or reacting like like jumping out of their chairs. I think they're just the most appreciative audience. You can oh, have. that's the wonderful thing about it. <laughs> If you're looking for solid planning, play with adults. If you're looking for an appreciative audience, (laughs) play with kids. They just think you're so clever, too. (laughs) It's good for the ego sometimes. Uh, Well, just listening to you guys talk about it is getting me excited. And, like, I don't want my daughter to, like, hurry up and grow up so that I can play with her. But, like, I kind of do at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. For sure. I feel the same way with our son. I just love thinking of all the games I'm going to get to play with him as he's growing up and throughout his life. We got him some foam dice already. Uh, and we play dice, which is mostly we just roll them and he tells us what numbers on them. Uh, but you know what? Practicing numbers. Practicing numbers, you know? like We're even adding a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's only four, so like that's about his level. But <laughs> we're we're working it in. I feel good about it. Addition at four. That's, yeah, addition that's at four. Cool. I think that's great. Yeah. I don't have any, like, I only have one daughter, and I don't know what, like, the milestones should be, where they should be, when, but all I know is my daughter just will not stop talking, so. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable. Well, the milestones growing up are, are, I mean, when a child hits a milestone is not really relevant to where they're going to be, isn't it? Some people learn a skill at four, some people learn a skill at seven, and it can totally even out by the time they're 14. That's fair. And and my daughter has she, her vocabulary has always been like way ahead of of <laughs> other kids her age, but um I, I think it's just cuz she always she's just always talking. So she's just had a lot of practice. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. That's I, I can tell and I told my wife I I said um she's definitely going to get in trouble in school because she's 
not going to stop talking to the kids next to her. And <laughs> my wife goes, yep, that was me. <laughs> so <laughs> I said, it's fun to see how they take after you and how they don't or how they differ. Yeah. It's always interesting. Uh, if she's talking a lot, that means hopefully once we get into the storytelling and stuff, she'll be, she'll be right there with oh, me. Yeah. She'll be like a pro. Yeah. She'll be all about the role play. And you can get started with free. Yeah. Like we were talking about earlier, like free form stories at a really young age. I've even been playing with our kid, like, um, he likes to play nice guy, mean guy. So we'll get little um, two toys, and one will be the nice guy, or one will be the mean guy, or sometimes there's variants on it, family or something. And and I realized the other day I was playing with him, and we were sort of both talking in character as our toy. I was like, holy, I'm role-playing <laughs> with my son right now. Role-playing is just playing. That's in the name. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of back on your uh, your sessions that you guys do, how long do they typically last with the kids? Uh, so uh, we typically run them for 11 to 13 weeks during the semester, and that's for two hours after school. Uh, sometimes it gets a little bit longer, like on the last day, but most of the time it's pretty much right within those two hours. Uh, and that's about the attention span most kids have. We have a couple, you know, five minute breaks for, you know, snack or potty or whatever. Uh, but that's tends to be what we do. And in the summer, we'll do five hours a day all week, five for five days. But it's split up with a really hearty lunch break, like a two hour. So we do two and a half hours, a two hour lunch break, and then another two and a half hours. Yeah. So they get time to mix it up, get out, run or You know, yeah. when we do it in person, part of that long lunch break is doing some sort of physical activity, ultimate frisbee or frisbee golf or whatever hide and seek we played that up yeah hide and seek that was fun uh we Super when fun. it's online uh sometimes what we do is we have the kids go around and talk about like what their favorite fantasy novel is uh last summer we also shared uh different myths and fairy tales uh so that was some fun things that we did we also shared some videos on how to be a good you know team player uh it, if you're playing you know dun in role-playing games dungeons and dragons things like that so we shared some youtube videos on that uh we even shared uh some music from Epic the Musical, that like TikTok musical out there, because you know it was showing how uh, myths and fairy tales can sort of inspire art. It's always fun, fun finding these little enrichment activities to throw in there. Just five or ten minutes to open it, mm -hmm. expose them to something different. Yeah. So if this sounds good to any of the listeners, uh, good news: we are setting up our um, our sessions for next semester. Now we're probably going to have some holiday sessions as well. And at this point, a lot of them are still online. We do have local sessions, but we also have online sessions. So uh, you can sign up or sign your child up by going to storytables.com. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll see some of you there. Yeah. And then what you'll be looking for, it's youth story tables uh, yeah. for children. Uh, we do do team story tables, which are for groups of adults, uh, tend to be in professional settings and things like that. It's like a team building activity. It's like a team building activity, but we also do private uh, groups uh, and we've been booked for those a lot. Uh, we're doing a family one coming up uh, online. And then we've done some in-person and online birthday parties. Uh, mm -hmm. Those are uh, a big hit because... Uh, the kids, you know, either bring some of their other characters if they play before, or we just provide characters for them uh, if they're brand new. And uh, they get to have like this epic adventure in, uh, you know, three hours, four hours. Yeah. We are also looking to expand. So if you are a GM and you want to do this, uh, unfortunately, we are only looking to expand uh, where we live in Southern California in Ventura County or in the East Bay. 
um, also in California. So like Oakland, Berkeley area. But if you happen to hear this and you live in those areas, reach out. Yes, definitely. We had somebody running games in Berkeley and they were absolutely fabulous. He did it at Games of Berkeley this last semester. Uh, did very well, but uh, he he had another job opportunity come up. So there is an opening there if you want to run games at Games of Berkeley. Uh, you do have to be vaccinated. That's the only stipulation because that's how they. And I mean, go through the interview. And process. go through the interview <laughs> process. Yes. And have credentials and have worked with children and no role playing games and the whole bit. But, and yeah. get trained. Yeah, it gets actually pretty involved. It is involved. But like, we pay you. <laughs> yeah. Important caveats there. <laughs> Yes, there's quite a few caveats. Well, awesome. Um, let's see. Is there, I guess, before we wrap up or kind of with the wrap up, is there anything else that you guys want to um, talk about or mention or where can we find you online besides, uh, is, do you want people to go straight to your website or do you have other places that you'd like people to follow you or or look for, look for uh, you guys? So uh, Storytables is our company and storytables.com. That's where you can find our role-playing games and uh, play Isles of Mist if you're interested uh, or one of our other systems. Um, we also have uh, sunsailorgames.com and Sunsailor Games is uh, our parent company, Sunsailor Productions. So we've also created materials for DMs Guild that have done fairly well. Uh, some one-sheet adventures. We've uh, also did an expansion for uh, Rama the Frost, Rama Maiden. The Frost Maiden called Call of Winter. So you can kind of follow us there. And there's also information about Misfit Table on sunsailorgames.com, uh, which is our Twitch stream uh, every Tuesday at uh, 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. And uh, we run that for two hours uh, and Wild Beyond the Witch Light. We got a great team of characters. Uh, Rob is a professional DM, so he really brings the magic. Uh, we're having a great time with it. Yeah. And both me and Ashton are in that game. It's great for us because we are always running games. So it's nice to be able to be players. And it's a really come check out Misfit Table if you're into actual play like live streams. It's it's really fun. It's a very role play focused group. It's all theater of the mind. We've been playing two months and I think had our first combat roles <laughs> the other day, not even truly combat. It's all, it's all role playing. We all, we cried twice. It was great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and because we don't use a ton of maps and stuff like that, I'm sure we'll use maps, you know, a little more going forward, but you can, you can just put it on while you do dishes and things like that. You're not missing anything by not seeing you can the just screen. Listen. Yeah. If you want to just listen, but I would, I would say watch it because the facial expressions are just, it's <laughs> golden. Our friends write these really funny fake commercials for oh like in-game products <laughs> that are just at, at, right before every break. If you could tune in just for that small portion, you should, I'm hoping to put some of those on my TikTok. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, I'm uh, Story Goddess at Story Goddess, all one word, on TikTok. Um, I haven't been posting as much content because I have gotten to working full time um, rather than just on story tables and with part time work. Uh, so, but keep st just stick around. I talk about tabletop role playing games. I I talk about youth story tables. Uh, just random nerdy business. So to quickly recap, we've got storytables.com, which is where we do our professional running of games, either the youth version for kids or team version is a team building activity. Um, that one's still kind of in alpha, but we've done a few. We're doing it. We've got a few more coming up, um, trying to build it up. Um, we've got 
some releases on Dungeon Masters Guild uh, that you can look up, either Sunsailor Productions or just by either of our names. Um, Misfit Table is Tuesday nights on Twitch. That's our Wild Beyond the Witchlight game. Oh, and I have an interactive game book on Amazon called The Good, The Bad, and The Undead. You can look that up too. And I'm, I've got a couple other game books that I've written too that I want to get up on Amazon. Hopefully I'll be able to get them up soon. Yeah. Oh, I also did the art for The Good, The Bad, and The Undead. It's uh, zombie cowboys. Zombie cowboys. Zombie vampire cowboys. <laughs> Technically vampire cowboys, but they're the breed of vampire that's a lot like, like zombies. zombies. Yeah. <laughs> Very fun. Well, awesome. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming on and chatting about your business and all the, the stuff that you've been doing. Um, it's just a huge thanks to you guys. It was a great conversation. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for reaching out. Uh, I really appreciate it. This is the first uh, podcast interview we've done, and uh, it was enjoyable. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Masters Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.